every time two people come together, there is an interaction and there is a dynamic at work between self and other that is always at play in that. And it's about how we think about that interaction and things like that. So maybe you've used it on your computer or on your car, or maybe you can fade the sound to the back or fade it to the back. You use those little slider things to kind of set the tone of things, right? And in all of our interactions, that slider goes back and forth between other and self, right? So sometimes you have an interaction with with your spouse or with your kids or with your parents or with somebody at work or school, all those things. And, and maybe that slide, maybe you're having a bad day and that slider bumps over to self, right? Or maybe you're just having a, a feeling pretty generous that day. So maybe it slides over to other. And so there's those interactions that are always going on. And every time two people come together, that happens. Well, I think that sets the tone and introduces a little bit of what 1 Corinthians 4 and really 1 Corinthians 1, 2, 3, and 4 have been all about. It's about this dynamic. It's about this other-oriented versus this self-oriented perspective. Now, when I say self and other, I don't imply that this is always good and this is always bad, because I don't think that's true. I think there are goods and bads in both of them. Um, so let's think about them. Other, um, it's, it can be very good to be in connection, in a relationship with someone who looks to the needs and interests of others. We are usually blessed by people like that, right? People who come into our life, who, who do good things for us, they say good things, they're, they're, they're helpful to our heart. And in the same way, self can be a very good dynamic, a healthy thing, a healthy dynamic taking care of your soul, taking care of your, your life, your inner life, um, maybe boundaries or investing in your spiritual health. And, and you take time to Sabbath, you take time alone with the Lord, um, um, all the things that Jesus modeled for us, those are good things. And so when you come to someone else and you have a healthy and strong self you're going to bless other people through that. There's the only good fruit that comes from that. And so let's look at some good uses, some good examples of this. Let's think about others. Friday, I happened to be in Jeff City at lunchtime, and uh, my car, or our car, magically just pulled into the Chick-fil-A parking lot. And um, it, um, it was 12.02, 12.05, something like that. And if you've ever gone there at lunchtime in Jeff City, you know it's a busy time. And so the, the line was wrapped around out of the parking lot into the street by Lowe's there. And um, it was raining. And it was just not a really good day. But you know, guess where those little Chick-fil-A workers were at? They were outside taking all of our orders like they always did. And they have those little plastic tents. You ever watch them wear those things? It's got to be the most uncomfortable, awful thing to have to wear. But uh, these little tents, they were out there in the rain and taking our orders. And it was fine. And, and we went through that whole process. Um, and not once did I get a negative vibe. This young lady greeted me. It was pleasant as it all could be. Could be. And uh, I don't know if she actually said it was my pleasure, but by everything she did, it communicated to me that it was her pleasure to provide me with a wonderful chicken sandwich. And so it was a good thing. And that's an example of a culture that they have set in their corporation of we're going to be good to others. That's going to be part of who we are. That's what we do. Right? So there's that. Um, how about self, though? Self can have a very positive thing, right? You ever hop on an airplane and they give you that speech that most people don't listen to, but they always say those terrifying words that in case cabin pressure is gone in the midst of your flight, these masks will fall down in front of you. And then when they do, if you're traveling with a child, they always tell you, put your mask on first, and then you can help your, 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 whoever you're traveling with, whether a small person would, would be. And the purpose of that is, is that you can't give to them what you don't have yourself. And so if you're passed out from lack of oxygen, you're not able to help anybody else. And so self is important from this perspective because you can't give to someone what you don't have 
um, inside of you. And so it is important that we work on healthy, as Morris said, being renewed, that process of God at work in our hearts, that he's feeding us and growing us and, and, and producing good fruits from a good and godly heart. And so that renewal, so both of these can be very good, right? Self and others can be good things, but they also have a dark side. And that kind of tends to go where we're going with in 1 Corinthians. Now, there can be a dark side to yourself, right? I probably don't have to illustrate this, right? We all know the dark side of ourselves, right? Um, at least if I've got one. Maybe you don't. But I have a dark side to myself, right? It only takes and diminishes from others, or it doesn't build up others. Or there's a selfishness that maybe seeps in and takes over our thinking, our actions. It cares about my kingdom, my interests, my will. And that's the self that when Jesus said, um, if you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your cross and you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And I think when Jesus said, deny yourself, it's this dark side of the self that he was talking about. That part of you that wants to do what you want to do instead of what he wants to do. That part of you that wants to use people and not serve people. All those kind of things that is, is true of that. Okay, And so the self can have a negative side, but also other can have a negative side, a dark side as well. We're not really going to touch on that, but just the idea, if you've ever wrestled with people pleasing or always worried about I, I, what do people think of me and just be that trap of that and the emotional energy that gets spent in that, you know the dark side of that. Okay, And so both of these things, there's this tension. And every time you come together, if you're married in your marriage, if you have kids with your parent-child relationships, with your friendships, uh, you go to work, you have the relationships there, you come here, there's interactions. This is always going on. And I think it's important for us to realize that because the gospel comes into our life. And we hear this good news about a Christ who died for us, was buried, and rose again. And he invites us into the new life that that resurrection and death brings us. And so which of these is the gospel pushing us toward? Well, I think if you were going to say both, I think that's the right answer. Because Jesus is calling you, inviting you into a healthy self that is abiding in Christ well. Jesus modeled this. He didn't spend all of his time with people. He would get up early, go off, be by himself, be with the Father. He would pray. He would just get away. He modeled a healthy self, right, that he lived out of. But it wasn't just self. It wasn't all just time in the woods. There was this healthy self that he pursued and he grew that produced actions and interactions with other people. And so they fuse together. And so the gospel is pulling us towards a healthy self that is invested in serving and blessing other people through that healthy self. Now, if you try to do others without a healthy self, it just gets ugly and it gets exhausting. And so Jesus calls us to that. And so the question is, when you walk into a room, what questions are going through your mind? Maybe it's from an unhealthy self. What do others think of me? What's here for me? What can I take from someone? How, what can they do for me? And those kind of questions can sometimes creep into our interactions. Or maybe we walk into a room and we have a different perspective. It's a perspective that says, who needs help? Or who needs a friend here today? Who is here that I can bless or serve or love? Or, or what can I do to help or brighten this room? Or to leave this room better than I found it relationally? 
And I share this because when I read 1 Corinthians, all of it actually, but especially here in these first few chapters, there is a dynamic at work all through this, this letter and especially in this section where he's talking about the relational discord that's going on. They're arguing, they're dividing, they're, they're building camps about which celebrity, which preacher or apostle they're making their favorite celebrity. And it's helpful to have a framework, I think, with this behind it as we read the text today. Now, when you read 1 Corinthians 4, I think there is a problem that Paul presents, and there is a solution that he presents. And I want to give those to you, and then we're going to walk how, watch how they kind of play out in this text. The problem was this, that their faith, and I put that in quotes on purpose, was producing a prideful and privileged attitude. That their faith, quote unquote, was producing pride and a sense of privilege, and like, well, I deserve this, or I've earned this, or I'm smarter than you, I'm better than you, that attitude, that there's something about me that sets me higher than you. And it can be subtle in a lot of ways, but it was, there was pride, there was a sense of privilege, this attitude that was at work in them. And I put faith in quotes because the focus of their faith was not the Jesus of the cross, but had instead become, a, had become twisted into something that focused on their own desires, on their own comforts, and Jesus was just a means to their end um, because it was doing lots of damage. There was this bad fruit or bad heart that existed in themselves, right? They, hadn't, they weren't following the Christ of the cross. And so the fruit of that that was playing out in their otherness was division, uh, arrogance, pride, privilege, all these things. And so that attitude was doing harm in their community. It was dividing them into camps that didn't love or appreciate each other. Um, and as we'll see in the weeks to come, other fruit of their just lack of regard or love or, 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 or interest in one another, all kinds of ways that plays itself out, but certainly division. And so the solution that Paul brings them is to look again at the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus and to realize again that we are called to follow him in his way of life. Because the, the sense of pride and privilege that he's going to address is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is different. It's, it's this. The solution is a faith that resembles the way, of, the way of Christ lived out in the community of Christ. And, and that makes us just think, well, what's the way of Christ? Well, if the way of the world that they were living in was pride and privilege, maybe it's thankfulness and humility that Jesus lived from. And, and Jesus did amazing things, but behind him there was always this humble and thankful spirit from which he did them. And so as we read 1 Corinthians 4, I want us to be thinking about what Paul is, thinking, is saying uh, in this framework of what he's talking, because he's calling them to, to look at Jesus again. And uh, he's going to point out a couple of things here. So Paul is going to highlight, as we read this, Paul is going to highlight this way of Christ as it has been lived out specifically in the lives of the apostles and Apollos and those early preachers and messengers of the gospel. Again, we're going to get to parts later where there's false teachers and, and things that they should be, should be weary of. But this is a group of people who are all on board. They're all gospel people. And, and yet they're dividing. The church is dividing because, well, I like Apollos. He's a better preacher. And, and well, Paul was my spiritual father. And all the things they're dividing over. And so he's calling them, though, to see the life of Jesus as it has played out in the life of the apostles. That they were following this Jesus way. 
And he's calling them to see that and to invest their lives in that. That when they begin to change their view of self and their following of Jesus themselves, it's going to bear different fruit. The other is going to change as their self changes. From pride and privilege to thanks and humility, that's going to produce a different fruit in their life. And so um, let's read this. Uh, beginning in chapter 4, verse 1. This is how one should regard us, and that us is the apostles, it's Paul, it's um, Apollos, it's, it's Peter, it's all the people he's been talking about. This is how one should regard us, as you should think of us. We are simply servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now just stop there, because Paul starts with, well, what should you think of us? Now Paul could have gone, could have pulled rank there, like we are apostles after all. You should think of us highly. You should think of us as important people. You should praise us. You should adore us. You should, he could have pulled all those things, but he didn't. When you think of us, I want you to think of simply servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In other words, we, the stewards part, we have been entrusted with a gift from God, the good news of the gospel, and it is simply our task to pass it out. Um, it is not ours, it is his, but we are messengers, we are stewards. And I love the word he picks for servants because it's a different word that oftentimes Paul uses just a generic word for servants, which is like a typical slave servant of that day. But this word is different. It's a word that was also used in that world of, um, of a rower, not an Olympic rower, but a rower, if you ever look back at Roman history, sometimes their boats were powered by wind and sails, but sometimes their boats were powered, if you remember those little oars that would stick out the side of the boats, and, and somebody had to sit in the bottom of the boat, and when the master said, go, they had to pull those oars, and that was the word that was used for that servants. It was a thankless job. It was a low job. The person who sat in the bottom of the boat, um, just think of all the things that could fall down <laughs> to you. It was dirty. It was smelly. It was thankless. It wasn't a, a high and lofty job, and so Paul says, you know what, who we are? We are simply servants of Christ, and we are stewards of the mysteries of God. We are not important. We are not essential to this. We are just simply people that God is using to do his work in. And so, because we are stewards, he finishes the verse by saying, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So I always think of, a good illustration of what a steward is, is think of Joseph back in the book of Genesis, right? He gets brought into Potiphar's house, and Potiphar entrusts him. He puts him as a steward of his entire house, and Potiphar goes to work and does his thing, and he entrusts Joseph with the whole house, uh, from the daily running of it to everything happening that needs to happen, um, so that's the picture, being given that charge and being faithful to it. Um, and so then he enters an interesting thinking or verses in verses 3, 4, and 5. He says this, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Now let's just pause there a second, because that, if you took this verse out of context, you could do some funky things with this. What Paul is not saying is that I'm not accountable, or it doesn't matter what I do, because we're going to get to chapter 5, and he's going to start calling some people to account, because their actions are, are way out of whack. And, uh, and so this isn't that. This is, in the context of where we've been talking, this is... They're judging him, evaluating him is probably a better word for that, based upon his performance, his outward performance. Do you speak as well as Apollos? Do you do this as well as Peter? And so there's this, this human wisdom that they're bringing to this evaluation process. 
Um, and I'd compare it to this. Um, I don't know if you like American Idol, but tonight is the finale and we're Go Team Willie at our house. So, um, so that's just me. But um, there's that, that setting, right? We all tune in our TVs, we watch them perform for us, and we either think, oh, that's good, or oh, that was bad, right? So we're basing them on their ability to wow us or perform for us or entertain us. And when Paul says that, you know what, don't be, I, I, it's, a, it's not a thing for me, whether you judge me, it's that idea that you may not think I'm a great speaker like Apollos. So I could either take that personally and I could try to really hard to be Apollos or I could say, you know what, that's Apollos and I'm Paul and that's Peter. We are simply servants and stewards. We are here to do what God has called us to do with the gifts God has given us to, you, to do them with. And I may not be Apollos, but I'm not going to perform for you and to try to be Apollos. So it's kind of that whole people-pleasing thing or a performance idea that he's talking about. And so in verse 5, then he says, and he says, look, he even says in verse 4, I'm sorry, um, look, I, I'm not aware of things that I've done wrong, but even if my conscience is clear, that doesn't acquit me because the only thing I answer to, I answer to God for being his servant and being his steward. And, and that's where the ultimate evaluation comes from is what he's trying to say. So it doesn't matter if, if we all stand and applaud him. If he has an evil heart, God knows that and he will judge that and he will take care of that. In verse five, therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the hearts. <clears throat> then each one will receive his commendation from God. David Starling wrote a book about leadership things in 1 Corinthians, and it's called Uncorinthian Leadership. And he says this about this section of Paul's writing. Human leaders, Paul insists, are servants, slaves even. And while they serve the church, they are principally and ultimately slaves of Christ, accountable to him. When we measure and compare leaders and speakers as if they were the performers and we were the fans or the judges in the talent show, we misconceive entirely what the true judgment is, the only one that is of eternal consequence. In other words, we miss it. Are they faithful to what God's calling them to say and to God's word, to God's mission, not how flashy were they, all right? And those of us who are leaders and teachers ourselves need to remember that the one whose evaluation and opinion ultimately count for something is the one who sees the hidden things and the purposes of the hearts. So it's all about that whole audience of one thing, all right? And only God can do that, all right? God sees that and God will take care of that. And so he's kind of laying that foundation. And then in verse six, he comes, verse six and seven, I think the most important verses of the whole chapter, uh, because the Corinthians were questing, they were driving after glory. They wanted to be proven big and important and more important than others. And so he says this in verse six, I have applied all of these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be what? Maybe puffed up in your in favor of one against another. So he's talking about a self issue, how you see yourself. And the Corinthians were dividing, well, because I'm a Paul's person, or because I'm a Paul person, that makes me better. I'm smarter. I must be more in intelligent because everybody of intelligence would figure this out. And so there's this glory seeking that they're using, and, and it's producing pride, and it's producing prejudice, and it's producing privilege. It's like, well, I deserve this, or I'm smarter than. And Paul says, no, I've applied this whole thing to us because I don't want you to be puffed up. We need to stop this whole, well, he's smarter, he's a better speaker. All that stuff needs to go away. There's this heart for God and, and the gospel that is important. Verse, then finally in verse 7, he asks key questions that I think are helpful for us. He says this, for who sees anything different in you? 
What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, then why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Apparently, there was some chest bumping going on in Corinth because they thought they were all that. They thought they were smarter. They thought they were better. They thought they were richer. They thought all the things. Keep reading in the book. We're going to get to 1 Corinthians 11, talking about the way they took the Lord's Supper. And it wasn't just a, a, a handy little packet with a bad-tasting wafer in it. It was a full meal, all right? So um, <clears throat> it was a full meal. And, and you're going to get there, and we're going to see, because of their arrogance that, that the rich and powerful were, were feasting and going home drunk, and the poor who came to the same feast to remember Jesus going home starving and hungry because they were just, it was this puffed upness that we're better, we're, we're powerful, we're privileged, we're prideful. And Paul is calling them back down from that. Say, get rid of that. You need to get rid of the, the pridefulness and the puffed upness and the privileged attitude. And it needs to be replaced with a thankful and a humble attitude. And where does the thankfulness and the humility come from? It's by recognizing that everything I have, I have received it. And some of you may say, well, I worked hard last week. And there was people who didn't go to work last week. That's great that you went to work last week and they, others didn't. But if you trace back everything in your life, at some point, it was given to you. It, it goes back to God somehow. It's the whole thing of, well, what did I do? What did you do with the resources? But they're all not your resources to begin with. It all goes back to someone else. So we received it all. So there ought not to be this sense of pridefulness and puffed upness and privilege that somehow I'm better than the average bear. All right? And so pridefulness and privileged people answer the question of, well, where did you get all your stuff differently than thankful and humble people? And so they produce different fruit. Prideful and privileged people treat people, treat others differently than humble and thankful people treat people. And Paul is using his example of how they have served Christ in the way of Christ to say that there ought to be a sense of humbleness and thankfulness that ought to be permeating the Christian community. And it's not in Corinth. So he says, change that. And then we get to verse 8, and Paul's sarcastic streak or his, his sharp tone kind of kicks in here a little bit because he begins to contrast who they think they are and what they, where they think they're at, that privileged status, versus the humbleness and the difficult path that the apostles have. He begins to say this, already you have all you want. <clears throat> already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings, and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. In other words, they have kind of stepped above. Like, we don't need to be suffering and doing this hard things like the apostles are and Apollos. We can live up here. We don't need to step down into the muck and mire. We'll just live up here. We'll let them do that. So there's this separation. Paul says, well, wouldn't it be great if the way of Christ meant comfort and pride and privilege, and we could just live up here as kings? He says, that's not the way of Jesus. That's, that's heaven. That's coming later. But right now, the way of Jesus calls us to be humble and servants. And so he goes on to say, for I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, the angels and to men. In other words, they're like people on death row. And I don't know that any college or high school person who just graduated said, my life goal is to be a death row inmate, right? That's not a privileged place. It's a place where it's hard and it, it, it's hopeless and there's a lot of difficult things. And that's what the apostles oftentimes faced. Verse 10 says, we are fools for Christ's sakes, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak. 
but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we are in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and we thirst and we are poorly dressed and we're buffeted and homeless and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and still are like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Paul is calling them to a way to embrace the way of the cross that they seem to be shunning. It's like, no, we won't want to be that humble and thankful thing. We, it's a lot more fun to be pride and prideful and, uh, and presumptuous and, and all those things. It's a lot more fun to be puffed up because it makes your life a lot easier than to be a servant. But Paul is calling them back down and says, the way of Jesus is down here. And, and you can think you're up here, but the way of Jesus is down here and the way of Jesus is not up there. You need to come back down. And so in verse 14, he finishes the chapter. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In other words, he's writing to them with a heart that loves them. He cares about them. This isn't bitterness and anger. This is a a dad who loves them. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy. What are we imitating? We're imitating that humility, that thankfulness, that perseverance, that even though it may be hard, keep at it for Jesus. That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? So these Corinthians were engaged in living their best life right now. And Paul is saying, you know what? There's a best life to come. But right now, the life and the way of Jesus is not your best life right now. It's a life of thankfulness, of humility, of service, of, of seeing yourself in a certain way so that it produces an outcome in the lives and in your interactions with others. Whether that be, again, every relational thing you have, this truth applies. And so I think it's interesting that behind these words, you can find so many times where Jesus called us to the same thing. And I think Paul is echoing in in that Corinthian context the things that Jesus said to him, called him to, and he is calling them to, and us as well. I love Matthew chapter 20. Uh, It's the picture where Jesus has been talking about his kingdom. He's going to be a king, and everybody knows that. It's going to be a great thing. And... James and John and their mom kind of get together and think, hey, we need to go get the prime seats, right? We don't want to be stuck at the tail end. We want to get the best seats. And so mom comes and says, Jesus, when you establish your kingdom, could my sons, James and John, have your best seats on your right and your left? And the text says that the disciples, the other disciples, were indignant with James and John. And they weren't indignant because they asked. They were indignant because they asked first, And so they're angry because, well, we wanted those seats. Everybody wants to sit at the right and the left hand of the king. Those are powerful positions. But then Jesus says this in verse 25. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servants. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
And so Jesus called them again, familiar words, but we need to hear that often because we live in a culture that pushes us towards comfort, towards pride, towards privilege, um, be in that class. But Jesus is always calling us back down to thankfulness and humility and service. John 13 is another one of those stories. Jesus has just done, if you read through John, you just find this, as you get closer and closer to the cross, Jesus does these more and more humbling things, self-humbling things to show him his love for them. And the disciples didn't know about the cross yet. So when Jesus got down on his knees with a basin of water and went around the room and washed all of their feet, which again is the most humble of things you could do in a group, they were shocked by that. And then Jesus finishes washing all their feet and he re-robes himself and sits down and he says this in John 13, 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? Do you call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. So note that phrase because did anyone in that room have a right to be prideful and privileged? Yes, Jesus did. He is Lord. He is teacher. He is master. He is in charge. It's all his. And so he had every right to be prideful and privileged. But that's not what Jesus does with his power. It goes on to say this. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And that's what Paul is wrestling with. That, hey, we apostles are down here serving and giving and suffering. But you Corinthians, you just think you're up here, you think you're above, above that. Oh, we would never stoop to that level of, or to that level of, of service or, or suffering. We're above that. And Paul says, no, you're, you're not in the way of Jesus if you're above the way of Jesus. So if you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. And so Jesus, we can look at dozens of others, times where Jesus calls us to a way. And the culture and flesh pushes us away from that because it's not comfortable. It's not easy to pursue that way. But Jesus lived that way. And he said, if you want to follow me, you need to go in my way. And so Paul is calling them back to that. I love this picture, this quote. Um, it says, it's hard to throw stones when you're busy washing feet. And um, the world's pretty familiar with a lot of Christian people that throw a lot of stones and they don't see a lot of feet being washed sometimes. And uh, I think that's a challenge for all of us that when you listen to what Jesus is, what Paul is trying to bring them back to is, you know what, the world will listen to you when you wash the feet. <laughs> when you're humble, when you're thankful, when you are a servant, they will listen to you a lot more than when you are powerful and prideful and privileged. No one's gonna listen to that because that's just what the world is, but Jesus' way is different. And so what does it mean to have the traits of a servant-minded community or to be a servant-minded Christian? Just these things come to my mind as I read this text from 1 Corinthians 4. There's a sense of accountability to Christ as my master, my Lord, and my judge. Um... There's a sense of accountability that Paul talks about at the beginning that says, you know what, I'm not judged by you, but I am judged by God. And sometimes I see people with t-shirts that says, only God can judge me. I think what a terrifying thing to put on your shirt. <laughs> yes, that means that he can't say bad things about you next door, but have you read the story in the Bible of how God judges? It isn't a pleasant thing. To hold everything accountable to the perfect and righteous God. And so Paul understands that I'm gonna treat people a certain way because I'm accountable. 
And so part of what it means to be thankful and to be humble is to realize I'm accountable to Christ. And so why would I harm another? Why would I do to another something damaging or disrespectful? I'm accountable to that. There's also imitation of Christ as humble servant and suffering savior. There's just that imitating of that model of how in your marriage or how in your relationships or how in your friendships or how in your workplace do you model that? It all comes down to a very low level. How about indebtedness to Christ as the giver of all good in my life? Instead of being prideful and privileged because I'm smarter than whatever or I'm better than or I'm more talented than, there's just a sense that it's all yours, Lord. I'm just a steward, I'm just a servant and it all goes back to you. And so instead of being prideful, instead of being privileged, I will choose to be thankful. I will choose to be humble and I will choose to be a servant in that position. And again, those two different approaches to self produce very different outcomes with others. And finally, there's just the humility of thought and word. Paul is calling these Corinthians to stop thinking of yourselves as better and worse. He's gonna get to 1 Corinthians 12 where we're all a body. We're all necessary and important and valuable in that body. So stop thinking pridefully and with privilege towards others and speaking of them in that way, but instead with humility of thought and word relate to each other. And so that's our prayer for this day, um, that God would transform our sense of self, that it would be whole and that it would be Christ-like and that there would be a fullness of thankfulness and gratitude and humility that realizes all that God has done in my life and it's all his and I'm his and it's not me, it's him. That produces a sense of a certain outcome in how I relate to other people. Again, if you're married, this changes your marriage, right? What does Paul talk about in Ephesians 5 when he wants to talk about husbands, how do you love your wives? Well, you get rid of pridefulness and you get rid of privilege and you serve your wife like Christ served the church. It changes the way you do your job. It changes the way you relate to school. It changes the way you do your friendships. It changes the way you relate to people you don't like or aren't like you. This mindset of of this self that is humble and thankful produces an other outcome that is Christ-honoring and is like what Jesus wants for us. But but it all comes down to very basic things in our life. It's not just out there. It's it's here. Even when you leave here today, you're going to have an opportunity to practice that, I bet. And so as we go from here, just want us to pray for that sense of accountability, that desire to imitate, that sense of indebtedness, that sense of humility, that it might fill us. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, our God, we come and we thank you for Christ. I recognize that in my own life, as I study this through, that um, it can be easy sometimes in subtle ways to be prideful, to feel privileged or just allow accomplishments or whatever to just puff me up and it's probably common for all of us to wrestle with that and so Lord we come today and just acknowledge that every good thing in our life is from you it's not of our work it's not of our hands it's all yours and so Lord may we live out of a sense of indebtedness and humility we long to honor you and, and give you thanks for that Lord it's not a always a fun thing to be treated like a servant uh, but Christ was the ultimate servant in laying down his life for us on a cross. And so may we be willing to embrace that life. And may we uh, always know that we are accountable to you. And may that change how we speak to each other, how we think of each other, how we respond to each other. And so, Lord, just do your work in us this week. And um, uh, do what you need to do to bring us into the way of Christ. 
We love you and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.